0: It's just a fake With episode 94 of the Geek Rect podcast, and I'm joined by Cal. Hello. And Harper. Hey. It's just three of us today. Um, and uh, that will work because we are talking about comics. And this week we are looking at the end of DC Comics reboot, relaunch rejiggering of their entire line that started in 2011, the new 52 it's lasted about four years now, just a little bit short of four years, actually since the official branding, the new 52 will be off of all DC comics covers come this week when they start their sort of next relaunch quote unquote divergence or whatever it is. But the new 52 is sort of an interesting initiative that uh, held a lot of press, a lot of attention And a lot of derision from the comics crowd and from the public in general, depending on who you talk to. It's actually an initiative that lasted a heck of a lot longer than many people might have thought it would. And I think that holds some interest as well. So what we wanted to do in this segment of the show was talk a little bit about the New 52 – sort of give an overall verdict on the whole thing, talk about its successes, maybe the missed opportunities of the overall initiative and sort of see what we think DC's move towards the future might actually look like and what we hope it might do. We talked about this a number of times before, so you might hear some regurgitated arguments, particularly from me, but Hey, let's put a final stamp on this thing and call it a day. So new 52, let's, let's travel back. In the Time Machine, your TARDIS or your DeLorean, I don't care which you prefer, to September of 2011, or maybe even July of 2011, the New 52 was announced. Where were you in your comics reading at the time, Harper?
1: It's kind of funny. I was almost kind of ideal for the New 52, I think, for their, their plan, because um, I had really just started getting into, like, picking up singles on a weekly basis that summer, and um, I'd read lots and lots of trades before that, but I had never really done the weekly thing before um, and I just started doing it that summer when I heard about it and got very very excited about it actually because I was at a point where i didn't I was only reading a handful of things and I wasn't really sure what to pick up, so it was it was a weird thing, and it was you know I was a little unsure about it, but mostly I was very excited about having lots of new stuff to try from uh, d c which I was almost only reading d c. stuff at that point.
0: So you were by your own admission. Their target audience?
1: Either me or somebody with slightly less experience than me, I would, I guess.
0: Okay, got it, got it. And Cal, how about you?
1: i had been
2: reading comics pretty regularly for six, seven years at that point. I don't know if I was quite the target audience. I mean, I I hadn't really strayed. The big thing for me was just... um, Starting the starting the series all from a new number one. I mean, it, as silly as the idea seems, you know, I mean, it did make me curious enough to give a lot of the books a chance. That you know, I mean, there was no way I was jumping into you know the middle of Jeff Johns Teen Titans run. Like, I was just I didn't care enough uh, to go to go with an example. I'm sure that, that they were hopeful for uh, his Green Lantern run, which was you know fifty sixty issues in by that point. And then rebooted with a whole new number one. All the other series kind of started there. So I gave some books a shot that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. But otherwise, it didn't really have much of an effect on me. And
0: let me ask this. So you, neither of you guys were, based on what I'm hearing, you weren't the type of comic fan that found yourself annoyed at the idea of DC rebooting its continuity, right?
2: Not really. No, I never really got that art. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> okay.
0: No, 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 that's good. I just I just needed to have a kind of grounding. I, I wasn't either. I was sort of a disaffected comics fan at the time. I mean, obviously, I've read comics since I was very, very little. And DC was my company and still is my company to an extent, even when I am unhappy with the decisions they make. It's just the thing that it's like, a, it's like comfort food for me. Superman, Legion of Superheroes, Sh- Captain Marvel, Shazam, whatever. I, these are the kind of things that I just grew up with. but around 2010, I think the only DC comics I was reading were Batman Incorporated. I had fallen off of the Jeff Johns Green Lantern run, and I you know, I was playing around with the Brian Q. Miller Batgirl and the Jeff Lemire Superboy. And maybe the Paul Cornell action comics, but I never was really collecting them regularly. I was reading them and then I, you know, I was just kind of not that into them. But really, Batman Incorporated was my one go to book. So for me, comics reading was sort of a, a non entity. And when I was at Comic Con 2011, I had seen all of the promotional material for the for the new 52 you know at the dc giant dc booth at comic con and all the you know the panels with grant morrison and scott snyder and all these guys about oh we're so excited about the new energy we're going to infuse into dc comics 2011 that it was hard for me not to get wrapped up in it a little bit and get kind of excited as a longtime dc guy and i thought well guess i'm gonna buy all these books (laughs) was literally my reaction i didn't buy them all by the way but i certainly was jazzed up enough to go not to my comic shop strangely enough but to barnes and noble where i picked up about i don't know over the course of that first month september 2011 when the first issues dropped i don't know about 20 of the issues maybe 25 of the issues And so that leads me to my next question. When you started buying these books, how many of them did you try out, Cal, if you can remember?
2: I can. I tried out every single one except for one. What was the Um, one you didn't try out? (laughs) Rob Liefeld's Hawk and Dove.
0: (laughs) Well done. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was the one where you know I, I i took one look at it and i was like you know i mean for a lot of them a lot of the creators were people i wasn't terribly familiar with and i wasn't sure kind of uh who a lot of those people were but liefeld i knew i had experience with and i was just like yeah I, I'm, I can pass on this one pretty safely uh but yeah uh, other than that i tried out every single one
0: Wow, my gosh. Did, um, okay, so let me follow up on this, Cal. How many of them did you buy issue two of?
2: A pretty, I mean, uh, not not a huge percentage. I mean, but uh, more than you'd think. It, I, I cut a lot of them pretty brutally after the first issue, uh, including, I'm sorry to say, your, your beloved Legion books, um, oh, sure. which uh, I've just found to be complete gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> in that I don't um, in, in in those first New Fifty Two issues. But uh I probably bought the second issue of about twenty of them and then just kept whittling it down from there.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um and Harper, how about you? Uh your first round of New Fifty Two purchases, what were they? Or wow. not I mean how many were there? Don't give me all the titles. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I, it's just funny. I'm going to literally do you one better, Cal, and say that I bought every single one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I um, I did. Uh, I actually did it through um, DCBS. I had them sent to me those four weeks, so I got all 52 of them. Wow! For, God for, bless America, for better or for worse. What a, I, I think we know which side of that coin <laughs> it ended up being on.
0: All right, Harper. I'm a, I'm a, I'm afraid to ask. How many of them did you keep <laughs> for did the I, next like week, the next month?
1: Oh, how many did I keep picking up? Um, pro- I think less than half, but I kept with way more than I should have. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't as experienced with picking up stuff on a weekly basis to not drop things off quicker than I, I do now. I, I was much more willing to give stuff second and third chances. <laughs> sure. There was definitely a few books that I read way, 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 way too long. Um, Demon Knights and uh, Suicide Squad, I know I read for over a year, both. It was oh, and Stormwatch, and yeah, there were a couple I read for way longer than I should have that were not very good. Demon
0: Knights, Blast from the Past. I haven't thought about Demon Knights. What the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't thought about Demon Knights in probably two years. So that's that's really funny. Yeah, I think. I just picked up probably... I mean, I picked about 50% of them. I knew I wasn't going to buy a Rob Liefeld comic. And God bless you guys that love Rob Liefeld. I, I get it. He's he's fun, and uh, um, uh, he's a cool guy. And there is a, a strain of very cool creators that find him very influential. I am not hating, I promise. Um, but I wasn't interested in that Hawk and Dove book. Uh, I also wasn't interested in, in stuff like Kyle Higgins' Deathstroke, you know, and... Um, Or, surprisingly, Nathan Edmondson's Grifter. I mean, I just wasn't going to pick those books up at all. But... I, I I liked the more offbeat titles. I was picking up things like I Vampire and uh Justice League Dark, and I did pick up Demon Knights, I, which I thought was a pretty great book. And then of course The Batman, the action, uh you know, I picked up the first issue of George Perez's Superman to my chagrin. Um mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, etc. Um all, all your core jail Justice Leaguers along with a couple of things on the outside, but you know, if it was a concept that somewhat intrigued me, I picked it up. If it was a creator I knew wasn't going to work for me, I never got it. So, with that said, we've had four years of this thing under our belt. Uh, we've had a lot of complaining. We've had a lot of uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of him and and we've had some praising, you know, as well. I mean, there has been some books that have worked well. So. Let's talk about some of the highlights of the thing. Let's go positive first before we go negative. Where do you see the new 52 as a success? Not only in terms of titles, but also in terms of as an initiative itself. What what worked about it, Harper?
1: Well... I mean, I, th- I think there's probably the same core series that we're probably mostly all going to talk about. I mean, I think the Trinity, the Action Comics, Wonder Woman, and Batman were clearly the the biggest successes. Although there were some other ones too that were a little some surprises. Um, Animal Man and uh, Aquaman being one that I remember standing out at the very beginning too. But I think to me, even if most of it didn't really work out, I think it was a really positive thing to just sort of. Start Fresh, where we had all these books where they there were so many books that they had a chance to try out a lot of different things. So, I mean, we got things like All Star Western and I Vampire and Demon Knights, some things that would have, you know, you'd almost never see in DC's publication line before some of these genre books and things like that. Um, I think they were giving a lot of good ideas and different things a chance, which was really positive. I think primarily the biggest the reason why many of those didn't really take off and didn't last were either because the kinds of creators that were on the books or more than likely the editorial issues that we all know were a big problem with the new 52 in general. Cal, what about your thoughts?
2: Yeah. I mean, there were, there were a few books that I enjoyed quite a bit. A lot of them were canceled uh, pretty quickly. I was like, which ones
0: do you mind if I ask?
2: I was a big fan of I, Vampire, which made it way longer than I thought it would. I enjoyed, at least in the beginning, uh, those first few issues, weirdly, of uh, Grifter. Grifter and Voodoo, which were two books that I thought were really cool ideas that just needed a slightly stronger, uh, slightly stronger creative team behind them. Men of War, Demon Knights, so, you know... I think this is the most Demon Knights discussion that's happened. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm even counting when Demon Knights was coming out. I think we've now said it more than at any point during its release. And uh, Animal Man was probably the biggest, like, immediate, like, holy shit, this is is what this was made to do for me. But um, there were actually a number of the weirder books that I liked quite a bit, although I was never quite as taken with they're big successes. I uh, really disliked Aquaman. I didn't like the Green Lantern stuff. Snyder's Batman curdled for me quickly. And Wonder Woman, I mean, even Wonder Woman, which I mostly enjoyed, I thought was a fun book, but a really shitty Wonder Woman book. <laughs> so I,
0: I hear you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's it's an argument that I, I can't argue against. I mean, if especially when it comes to Wonder Woman, when people have like a very specific – thought about you know the, mis- the miscaria <laughs> the miscaria whatever it, fuck i can't pronounce it um, Paradise Island. about the amazons <laughs> <laughs> you know and it becomes very different you know it's it's hard to reconcile the two particularly when greek myth is involved etc i get it yeah for me successes look i the only new 52 title that i think i saw all the way through to the end that that lasted from the beginning was Snyder's Batman. And I gotta say, that was like a roller coaster ride of, Am I gonna keep this fucking book or am I not? Every every other month I was like, I think I'm gonna drop it. Oh, but the art's so pretty. Oh, you know, and I, back and forth. It was like I was like I was having like a bad relationship with a girlfriend or something. And I was like talking to my friends like, should I, should, should I, get, should I get rid of it? What do you think? Is it is it worth it? And on the whole, probably it's not, um, especially now considering where the book's going. But like actual successes, books that I think knocked it out of the park through their entire runs, whether they were canceled or not. I think Frankenstein, Agent of Shade was one of those books. I love that book to pieces when Jeff Lemire was on it and slightly less so when Matt Kent was on it. But it still was a book that worked a lot for me, Uh, and I especially love those JG Jones covers. I thought it was a great idea, a great concept, and you know Frank's character—it's he's like the one he's like the most Jack Kirby character that Jack Kirby never created, you know. And in Jeff Lemire's hands, he definitely felt that way, and it was a nice continuation of like the Seven Soldiers Frankenstein. I liked Wonder Woman still, even just for Cliff Chang's design sense. I liked the look of JH Williams Batwoman and. Francis Manipole's Flash. I didn't necessarily love reading them all the time, but I sure liked looking at them. And for me, sometimes there's value in just aesthetic pleasures, I guess, depending on your, your, your thoughts on how much art can imbue writing. I think Batwoman was clearly a better book than Flash, of course. And Batwoman was probably one of the better books of the new 52 overall, but Hey, there's something to be said for pretty, pretty pictures. And I think the other big success for me was Dial H, which came in the second wave of the New 52. So technically, you know, it kind of counts for this discussion, I think. I think that that was one of the more inventive titles, especially in its first, like, eight or nine issues before the New 52, like, you know, started started to take it over a little bit in its back half. I thought that was a really cool book and the kind of book that I wish DC had imbued more into its New 52 line. This idea that we can tell any story we want and we don't have to be tethered to continuity and these old characters and Donna Troy and Wally West and all this stuff. We can we can literally create new characters if we want to. I liked it. I also just liked the art. I thought uh, Mateus Santaluca was doing cool stuff there. It also was canceled. so. But uh, sadly, that was all she wrote for that kind of stuff. And then Justice League Dark had McKelvin in art too, and that was always mm-hmm. fun. So, yeah, a lot of successes at least on my end of things. Things that I at least found endearing, whether they you know lasted to the end or not. So, failures, missed opportunities of the New Fifty Two. I guess it's hard to not have this discussion without uh, bringing up the old E word, right, Cal?
2: I've I've argued repeatedly that if the '90s was were the artists' age of comics, and the uh, '2000s were the writers' age, where you know Grant Morrison Bri- or Brian Michael Bendis, uh, all these writers with really distinctive voices found a lot of mainstream success, turning these giant books into. Uh, I mean, it was almost it was almost auteur like, you know. I mean, you could tell Brian Michael Bendis's Avengers whether you liked it or not. You could tell it immediately. And that's not super common for a lot of those mainstream books. The 2010s, especially the New 52, felt like it was trying to be the editorial age where everything had to be editorial, fiat, and it was – it got ugly. It got ugly. It got ugly fast and hard. And I think that in conjunction with the um, lackluster creative teams that they had pulled for a lot of these books is what ultimately doomed the New 52, which was a good idea. There were some successes. You know, I mean, we've all named a number of books from this that we're really fond of. But overall, I mean, there's just so much failure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there there, there was. I mean, and and Harper. I mean, I'll let you follow up on that uh, if you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it's not to say that editorial interference was not a problem before. I mean, we know about lots of creators. You know, Mark Wade maybe being the the prime example here that left DC because of issues just like that. You know, not that long before, but here it just seemed this whole kind of idea of the house style being probably the biggest problem that all these books not only had to share the same universe, which is not necessarily a problem, but obviously it can cause some creative issues, but for them all to primarily have the same kind of art style and the same, almost the same storytelling style um, for most of the lesser books, um, you know, they let these superstars Snyder and Morrison and, and everybody do their thing. But for the most part, they, all the books were, you know, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that's a thing above the creators, although having creators that are primarily came out of the nineties outside of their handful of coups where they've got some really interesting people. It's mostly, it's a lot of Dan Juergens. It's a lot of, uh, you know, guys like that, that, you know, not particularly connected to the, uh, current readers maybe, or maybe, maybe too much current readers are a little too old for that. Uh, maybe that's part of the problem, but yeah, I mean, the, the publishers interference in general just seemed to be one of the biggest issues. These, I, we started knowing more about them and these public fights with creators kind of stole the spotlight from what could have been some interesting books. Maybe.
0: Do you think that's because of we had having a decade, like you just like highlighted Cal. I mean, you have a decade where the writer is King and you had the artists before that in the nineties. Right. I mean, is it because of expectation? I mean, if if a company lays down a heavier hand on creators is it because the creators expect to have that freer hand that they had you know just a few years before is that probably what 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 set all of this uh strife in place
2: i don't know i mean it it that's an interesting idea that you know they bounced bounced from having maybe too much freedom uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are some people who would argue that things like Final Crisis were a little alienating to readers who hadn't read everything Grant Morrison had written. Right, right. And so I think that there probably was some backlash to that. I also kind of wonder if part of it was just panic. Like, the New 52 felt very thrown together. Uh, the continuity never made sense, uh, but they kept they kept trying to assure people that there was this plan and then botching everything. And it was just PR disaster after PR disaster. And with every single one, the kind of administrative side took a little bit more control and was just like, okay, got yeah, we're sorry about that one, but we really need to fix this now. So just stay with us. And it was just, it was just the most bizarre mess.
1: Remember Pandora y'all? <laughs>
2: you know it's, uh, <laughs> what Sorry is now. still going on oh, that's shocking <laughs> I, I
0: i mentioned that on a panel i was on at Momocon this weekend people asked someone asked me a question about pandora which is so funny it's like this idea like some i would have any answer about what the fuck pandora <laughs> is about which is hilarious in of itself but i sure appreciate somebody asking me that i <laughs> i i I, I had to sit down and think about, God, you remember how many like drafts Trinity War went through? I mean, like the initial promo art for Trinity War looked nothing like what the actual story was about. But by God, they found a way to in, to take that tr- promo art that you found in the free comic book day ad the f- after the first year of the new 52 which has like the justice league uh and the justice league of america and justice league dark all fighting one another they found a way to put that in trinity war proper and they they even got it down to the point where they found they they the people that they thought was black adam in that in that ad no it's captain marvel with a black outfit. <laughs> <laughs> i mean they they really were like bending over backwards to make everything fit and it just ended up falling apart and that's one of the things that i thought was one of the biggest lost opportunities was if you're going to reboot by god reboot mm-hmm. like just reboot the whole thing and the batman green lantern carry (sighs) over i mean i realize grant morrison and jeff johns carry a lot of sway at dc comics and 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 you know in some cases rightfully so they've they've sold a lot of books and they're influential to a number of people but it became a question of what counted and what didn't um, did Final Crisis happen? Did Crisis on Infinite Earths happen? Did Sinestro Corps War happen? How about uh, anything involving Doctor Hurt in the Batman run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It just became a confusing mess, like you said, Cal. And that was probably—I think I spent a year trying to figure out like what the Batman continuity even was. Like, how many Robin, Robins were there? There were like five and five years, it seemed like.
1: Yeah, and and the whole. I m you remember uh Superman showing up in Swamp Thing number one and talking about when he died? <laughs> it's like <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and they they figured they had to figure
0: out a way to write that into continuity mm-hmm. too. Um I think what was it? There was a Grant Morrison story called The Second Death of Superman. And it was like, <laughs> when the hell did the first one happen? It's <laughs> so it was,
2: it, the first one happened like six months after he started being a su- I guess. I Yeah. Um, I forget who was uh someone once said that the problem with tri- the problem with continuity is that it makes your best writers play by the rules your worst writers set and that's just the story of the new 52 to me. <laughs>
0: it's pretty good. It's a pretty good uh, motto. I don't know who 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 you can credit for that one, but I like it a lot. Is there is there an argument to be made though? And I've seen, you know, folks like Heidi McDonald and a few others talk about how it sort of helped revitalize the industry a little bit. And I guess, you know, some of the numbers don't lie here. Um, When the new 52 launched in 2011, it was, of course, a massive success that first month. And it was pretty successful throughout the course of 2012. I don't know when sales started to really fall off for a number of titles. For example, I mean, Batman remains the number one selling superhero book on average. And weirdly, before the New 52, before Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, it was sort of intermittently successful under the Grant Morrison run. And before that, you know, Rucka and Brubaker and, you know, Judd Winnick and, you know, it really the only time that it was a, a really successful book was like the, the Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee Hush story. So... That was a major success point for them. But there were a number of books that sold very well in the first year. And it let DC sort of take over the market share for a year, which is something that almost never happens. Uh, Marvel sort of carried the market share since 1962 or whatever for quite, quite some time. And there will be you know, spurts like in the 80s and in the late 90s during Marvel's bankruptcy phase when DC found its way back on top again. But generally speaking, most people sort of gravitate towards Marvel. But 2012, people were on top of DC. I wonder, can, it make, can you make an argument that the New 52 might have brought new readers into the industry that eventually turned over to Marvel or Image or somewhere else?
2: I think that the New 52 was a financial success – It was interesting in that I think they quickly realized that there was a huge difference between, say, their 10 top-selling books and their 42 uh, least-selling books. But their 10 top-selling books sold so well. And I don't know if they brought new readers in. I I, I don't know. I mean, I think I've seen more new readers coming in since – Marvel started pushing things like um Miss Marvel and image started uh, expanding. That's brought a lot a lot of new people in. but I do kind of think that the new fifty two brought brought lapsed readers back. I think that that was they wanted new readers, but if you want new readers, you don't bring in the workhorses from the nineties. And they brought in the workhorses from the 90s and that brought back people whose heyday was the 90s. That's at least how I interpret a lot of their success because I don't see a lot of younger readers asking for DC books.
1: I think you're absolutely right. It brought a lot of lapsed readers back for sure. I think maybe the biggest place it was successful is not necessarily bringing in new readers because if I'm totally honest, I don't know – I've never met a new comics reader my whole life. (laughs) I know everybody I know that's read comics has either been, you know, on the edge of it or, you know, has somehow known about comics or been into comics or had a family member into comics or something. But I think the biggest success were probably people that were kind of along the same lines that I was, where I was just kind of on the edge of it. I was interested, but I was only buying maybe like two, three books a week to the you know that that changed my comics habits drastically the new 52 did i mean that took me from buying just a couple to the obsessive compulsive version of my weekly comics buying that i'm at now uh, for better or for worse but it, i mean i think it brought in a lot of people probably like that that were on the edge of it and i and i remember even people you know at work and whatever knowing about it which was kind of strange and weird as a comics fan for people to be talking about comics that were not comics people that it definitely made a huge impact on that front but it's hard to say whether that would have happened eventually in some other form or not like with marvel's marvel now or all new marvel now i mean that you know it was obviously not as drastic but i think that potentially it did bring in some new readers stuff like hawkeye um you know with the, such a different vibe and a more youthful tone but the new 52 did bring in a bunch of people from uh you know lapsed readers and people that were probably on the edge like i was
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that the New 52 at least sort of directly inspired the marketing ideas behind Marvel Now, All-New mm-hmm. Marvel Now, Avengers Now, whatever, uh, Marvel's Now initiative. Because those sort of line-wide rebumps, they didn't really happen that often. I mean, we we had a few here and there. But for an entire line to shift, all creative teams change over constantly. I mean, we had DC's one year later, right? But, I, I mean, perhaps there was something like Heroes Reborn. Remember that? I mean, there, there just hadn't been that many that I can remember, though I'm sure, you know, somebody can correct me on that. So I feel like that might be the sort of the lasting legacy of the New 52 in sort of short form is that it sort of inspired its competition to up its game, And by that, you know, we get great stuff from Marvel and then even better stuff from Image, you know, (laughs) and that's I think that is sort of where I will probably fall in the end on what the new 52 was able to inspire. So let, let me ask you guys this. We were talking about how these books sort of have house style and they were all very editorially driven were there any books that broke with house style art wise and with house style storytelling wise any at all that you think would be recommendable to readers that are looking for something a little more adventurous and different like basically I guess my question is if we're recommending something out of the new 52 for somebody that's never read a new 52 comic before or wants to actually check something out from this beleaguered era of DC what would you recommend
1: You know, one thing we haven't talked about at all that I was just kind of remembering I'd almost forgotten about was uh, the Shade miniseries that came out real close to the beginning. I think it was in the first year. Yeah. Um, That was phenomenal and totally outside of the house style. Um, James Robinson was writing it and they had – I think almost every issue had a different artist on it. But they had – I know Frazier Irving was on an issue or two. And, um, man, I'm trying to remember who else. But it was a real – awesome cavalcade of great artists and it was just a really good like i think eight issue story i mean that'd be that would be a really nice place to pick up where you don't feel like you've got a giant you know 40 issue run to read necessarily it's just a mini series but that was really fantastic
0: i think that book was actually like 12 issues oh
1: yeah it was you're right it was longer
0: had let's see if i can remember all the artists give me points if i can remember this i (laughs) swear i'm not looking at it cully hamner yep jill thompson Mm -hmm. i think i think so uh, yeah Darwin Cook.
1: Yeah, that's right. That issue was is fantastic. Uh
0: Fraser Irving was on the end. I think Javier Polito did a couple of issues. I think he did like these vampire issues. And I don't remember anybody else. The, you, those are the ones I can remember though. If they, I don't know if that was anyone else or not.
2: Gene Ha. Gene Ha, well done. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, the sh- I loved the shade. It was actually Did either of you read James Robinson's Starman?
1: I've read oh, most I- of it. I okay. have it all.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, yeah, if you if you read The Shade off of that recommendation and you like it, go back and read James Robinson's Starman. DC reprinted it, and it's phenomenal. It's one of the, the best comics of the 90s.
0: Easily, easily. It's probably, I might make the argument that it's the only good comic James Robinson's ever made, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to start that argument, <laughs> you know. Pretty it's pretty tremendous. Any others that we might recommend though if we were compiling a reading list uh, at all?
2: If you're starting from if you if you're going for just the core New 52 books, I Vampire, I Vampire was uh drastically different in tone, drastically different in the kind of story it was telling from the New 52. And uh, it introduced me to Andrea Sorrentino, who is just a uh, phenomenal, just immensely talented artist. He is very good at this kind of gritty, or not gritty, but um, kind of dark, gothic, horror-style horror storytelling, and he knocked that out of the park. My other recommendation comes from the very, very tail end of the New 52. It started five months ago, I think. Uh, So it was one of the last, I guess, last big changeovers they made. But um, Genevieve Valentine and Gary Brown finally figured out Catwoman after a whole lot of shitty Catwoman.
0: that's That's Catwoman as a mob boss, right?
2: Yes, yes, and uh, Gary Brown does a very good um, crime comic style. Uh, he's um, great at giving the giving the city a uh, strong feel that, like a strong feel as a city, like it, it has a very coherent feeling in a way that very few of DC's or I mean DC's fictional cities or Marvel's real cities never feel like real places to me. But Gary Brown makes that crime story feel like a very, very uh, Gotham story in a way that surprised me. I think
0: if I were to recommend a book that would probably have the most like wide-ranging appeal, I think I would probably go with Frankenstein, only because it's basically DC Comics' version of Hellboy. Um, down to even having like an underwater like assistant, <laughs> kind of like a female version of Abe sapien yeah you know? <laughs> and i i you know it's it's a book that if you're willing to uh, if you're willing to get past like somewhat scratchy art i think it it's a book that a lot of people could find really enjoyable, especially. You know, if you follow it through to the end, um, I also would, of course, recommend just for aesthetic pleasures, J.H. Uh, Williams, Batwoman, because I think a lot of that book kind of pulls together. You just have to understand it will not have a satisfying ending because he never uh, got to write the ending. He left the book before that happened.
1: Somebody else wrote
0: an ending to it. <laughs> it was hideous. Yeah, it was an hideous bit. thing. But um, I tell you, that first arc and that team up arc with Wonder Woman that J.H. Williams pencils himself. Oh, God. Beautiful, Gorgeous. beautiful comics. It's the kind of comics I wish I wish DC was putting out more regularly. And from the back end of the New 52, I would really recommend uh, Tom King and Tim Seeley's Grayson, uh, which I think is just delightful. Uh, basically, the idea is Dick Grayson, for stupid reasons uh, <laughs> that I can't define, has something to do with Forever Evil and something idiotic that Jeff Johns wrote, uh, has his uh, secret identity as Nightwing compromised and Batman – Instructs that he becomes a, a secret agent and uh, infiltrates Spiral, uh, a agency that shows up in the Batman Incorporated run. This is a book that is basically James Bond in the DC universe, and it is so good and so much fun, and it has the first really good usage of Midnighter that uh, DC has attempted since the Wildstorm era. So I would definitely recommend that along with with some of its beautiful art by Mikel Janin, who might be my favorite house-style penciler over at DC. So, I have one final question related to the New 52, and that is related to the end of it. With this upcoming June relaunch entitled Divergence, do you have any hope for the future of DC? And if so, what books might you be looking forward to, if you're looking forward to any?
1: It's hard to say whether it's going to come across in practice, but I think... The aim of this whole divergence idea is exactly what I was hoping. What I've been, you know, what I think everybody's been whining about that they're kind of moving away from continuity and they're trying, trying kind of (laughs) to bring in some new and interesting creators, which, you know, to some degree they have. To some degree, we're still getting, you know, two Dan Juergens books coming out this week, for example. But yeah, I mean, there's a few things I'm I'm interested in. Nothing that, you know, I, I would say I'm super excited about, but. I'm interested in, in Midnighter coming out this week. I'm interested in I'll, – I'll give uh, Batmite a chance just because I like that character so much. You know, I think there's some interesting ideas. By far, probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to would be um, Gene Luen Yang's Superman um, just because he's a such a phenomenal creator who I've, I kind of can't imagine what his take on Superman is going to be, which makes it actually really exciting. So,
2: There's – for me, there's actually a number of them that I'm interested in trying – of the, of the new books, I know they're they've got a Black Canary book coming out soon that looks entertaining, written by Brendan Fletcher and illustrated by Annie Wu, I believe. Yep. Uh, David Walker is doing Cyborg. Uh, David Walker uh, Cyborg is a character that I think the New Fifty Two just gave ugly redesign after ugly redesign too. And I think he's getting another ugly redesign for this book. But David Walker did a really, really excellent uh, Shaft book at Dynamite, and I'm really interested to see what he does with Cyborg. Mystic U was one that I was baffled that they were publishing, but I'm curious about Uh, Midnighter Prez. Like there, these are weird, interesting like high concept books in a way that a lot of the new 52 stuff was much more, much safer, much more male focused. I think DC has learned a lot from what Marvel is doing right now and is kind of trying to emulate that. So it'll be interesting to see how it works, but there are a number of books that I'm going to check out and that has not been the case for DC for some time.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I, my DC pool Till now uh, was whittled down to Gotham Academy, Grayson, and you know whatever last dregs I have with uh, Snyder's Batman. And Batgirl, of course, by uh, Cameron Stewart, Babs Tarr, and Brendan Fletcher. I, um, I'm very excited about the new infusion of creators. I think my biggest complaint about the New 52 as it continued on was that it felt like the bench was continuing to thin. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept losing creators, so they kept going to the old like war horses that kept the trains running on time. There's a lot of things you can say about Dan Jurgens, but there's one thing you can't say is that he's ever had a late book. Yep. He never has, and the same goes for Scott Lobdell. I'm sad to say those guys pump out the scripts when they <laughs> need to get pumped out. It's just it's just the way it is, you know. And uh, when you're dealing with corporate IP, you got to make sure those books come out on time. Otherwise, uh, you know the bean counters are pretty unhappy. So, yeah, there are a lot of really young, new names that are coming into DC Comics. And while I still have fears about editorial interference, I mean, the same, some of the same crew is still in charge. And certainly the guys at Top Bar, uh, Dan DiDio and Jim Lee. But they have a new staff that's coming and taking over. You know, you know my friend Andy Curry, for example, from Comics Alliance. He is uh, coming in as an editor for the books now, and there are a number of other young editors that during their move from New York to California over in Burbank that have jumped on board. We'll see you know, what kind of orders they have to take, but I love some of these new names like Steve Orlando on Midnighter uh, is a very exciting uh, LGBT writer who is writing an LGBT character. You've got David Walker, an African American writer, writing an African American character. What, you know what an idea! <laughs> and you know, Black Canary is set in that same sort of what I'm dubbing as the Fletcher verse of DC Comics, which includes Batgirl and Gotham Academy. A lot of like crossover there with uh, the same sort of uh, character sets. A lot of same mentions about bands, and it's it's pretty cool. I'm very excited about that new Constantine book, which I didn't think I would be. But I read the preview, and I sort of loved it, particularly the Riley Rossmo art. So that is a book that I will look forward to. Simon Oliver writing Martian Manhunter. I thought Simon Oliver's uh, Collider, which eventually became the Federal Bureau of Physics, was a pretty good read. Maybe not quite blowing my socks away. But I thought this that, that he, him on a superhero title is an appealing idea. Uh, Gene Luen Yang, of course. Aaron Cooter taking over as co-writer on Action Comics is also another promising development as his Villains Month issue, which featured the Parasite, was probably the only good Villains Month issue. Um, so I am pretty stoked. I bet you I'm going to buy almost every one of those books that comes out except for the things that uh, are sort of repeats like the new Suicide Squad and Deathstroke and you know, any of the Dan Jurgens books I can't imagine I'm going to pick up. But anything that's new with a new creator chances are i will probably check it out which I, you know that sort of excitement is not something i would have ever hoped for again for a while but i'm kind of glad it's here so one last word new 52 success failure i think we've pretty much already passed the past the uh,
1: the verdict on it but harper i must say i'm really gonna miss those holographic covers every september no, they might, they might still come in
0: September. <laughs> there has been no word as what they're going to do in September,
1: okay? Uh, uh, no, yeah. I, I mean, I think we've kind of covered it. Uh, um, I think there were, it, it made some impacts that were really positive, but overall the grand majority of the books that they put out over the last three and a half years were, were pretty dismal and had a lot of issues. Um, although the few and far between successes were fantastic successes and there were some really good high points, there were many, many, many more low points than there were high
2: my, my thinking on it, in honor of Aloha having just come out, <laughs> I'm going to steal a Cameron Crow quote, which is, uh, as someone once said, there's a difference between a failure and a fiasco. A failure is simply the non-presence of success. Any fool can accomplish failure. But a fiasco, a fiasco is a disaster of mythic proportions. A fiasco is a a folk tale told to others that makes other people feel more alive because it didn't happen to them.
0: And on that That note, my
2: final words on the new 52.
0: On that note, I will let Cal have that last word, and you can uh, put a fork in the new 52. It's done. Topic I wanted to touch on, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, only because there's so many, so many categories and so much uh, material that we've probably not read. To be frank with you, is uh, the 2015 Eisner Award nominations. The Eisners are basically the Oscars of comics. I mean, there are other comics awards out there, but the Eisners are the big ones. They used to be called the Jack Kirby Awards back in the uh, early 80s, but they became the Eisners ever since in honor of cartoonist Will Eisner, the man who created the spirit and was a uh, legendary artist in his own right. The Eisners are awarded every year at San Diego Comic-Con, usually the second day of the convention during the evening time. And it's a big event that the public can attend, so long as you, of course, have a a damn badge to go to Comic-Con. So... The Eisner Awards, they the nominations were announced about a month ago. Yeah, a month, month and a half ago. And it was it took over Twitter for about a day <laughs> as anything could related to comics and there was a big discussion amongst the industry about the various The various nominees and a lot of uh, congratulations and, oh, yeah, I'm so proud of you, blah, 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 that kind of thing. A lot of plaudits. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the categories and some of the nominees and as sort of a reflection of what the best of 2014 in comics look like. And I'm kind of emphasizing air quotes here with that because we may not necessarily think that's the case. But, hey, let's talk about the awards like we would talk about the Oscars a little bit. I asked the guys to take a look at the categories and sort of like point out anything that really stuck out to them. Um, so, Harper, of the categories, which ones really stuck out to you particularly? And let's start there and we can talk about what's in that category.
1: Um, I mean, we could start kind of near the top here um, with uh, best continuing series was... Kind of, an, it was interesting in their their choices. I, I wouldn't say necessarily in a positive way. Uh, there's some stuff in there that probably really deserves it, and some stuff in there that's like a big question mark. I don't understand. <laughs> what, what, what's your question mark? Walking Dead. Okay. Which, and I say that I say that as somebody who still reads Walking Dead. I've read it from day one, and I still like it. It's a decent series, but. Best continuing series? What? <laughs> like, that's just totally kind of bizarre to me. There were plenty of other things that uh, that could have filled that slot.
0: I have to clarify that the nominees for this awards ceremony um, are actually conducted, I think, by a committee. There's like a nominating committee. And then the industry as a whole votes on the actual winner. So, I, you know, the, the nominee committee is pretty... Diverse, So, you know, that's why there's a lot of interesting selections here. Uh, And generally, they're the ones that make a lot of sense. The Walking Dead, though, is a head-scratcher for me. I do not understand why (laughs) that book is in the best continuing series at all, uh, other than it's just Image's top-selling book. But I don't know, you know, most money made does not equal best, really. So I'm not sure I understand it. I also kind of wonder, I hate to say this, I kind of wonder why Hawkeye is there because Hawkeye barely came out.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. it had, what, three issues last year? Yeah. yeah I agree. mean, I, I, Hawkeye is a groundbreaking book, and I get that. But yeah, I mean, this this wasn't its year. It didn't come out last year. No. Uh, the Walking Dead, I think, is just, I mean, it's it's the indie success story to end all indie success stories. I mean, at least for... Uh, It's uh, to me, it feels like throwing, you know, throwing Return of the King best picture, you know, I mean, it's it's the odds on popular favorite. Everyone knows about it. Everyone's familiar with it. And it's the only book on that list that has even I guess Hawkeye, at least people would know from the Avengers movies. But other than that, no one outside of this is a this is a pick that brings people in and gets them interested is would be my theory.
0: Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I, there's there's no way it's gonna win. Um, I mean, the other nominees in this category include Astro City, you know, Kirk Busiek's long running superhero fable, Bandette, which is Paul Tobin and Colleen uh book for Monkey Brain, the digital first book, and then Saga. <laughs> the two time winner, by the way, in this category, they are the reigning champs currently by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, and then Southern Bastards by Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. I mean, my question is frankly, can anything unseat Saga, or are we looking at the first time three time winner since Sandman?
1: That's, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'd say it, it's probably the, the, uh, the pick i mean if i was betting that's definitely what i would bet on i mean it's a book that's continues to be i mean i i still think it's really fantastic it's one of my favorite books coming out still but on top of that it's immensely popular um and it has a huge cult following as well you know with you know cosplayers and and uh that's a book that i think a lot of non hugely you know, into comics, uh, readers are obsessively reading. Um, if that, if there's one thing, those kind of readers are, are checking out it's saga. I mean, I think it's probably got the best chance of winning, but I would love to see Southern bastards take it. I mean, that's such a, it's such a different book and it's not, it's, I mean, none of these outside of Hawkeye really are superhero books. Well, I I guess Astro city as well, but, um, you know, to see something that's so, I don't know, grounded in, in a, you know, Southern culture—just something so different—that would be really interesting. I think it's a great book.
2: Yeah, I mean, Saga I think is the odds-on favorite to win. There's nothing on there that has that kind of broad, broad kind of popular and critical appeal. A, a lot of people like The Walking Dead, but I don't think critics are typically among them, and I don't think other creators are typically among them either. Uh, Southern Bastards feels too new uh, Hawkeye barely came out, Astro City and Bandette are, I'm baffled that, I I mean, don't get me wrong, I love both books, but I'm baffled that they're on there, they're so under the radar in a lot of ways, so yeah, I mean, as much as I, I I would love to see, I would love to see Bandette win, or Astro City, or Southern Bastards, but Saga feels like, Saga feels like it's taken home the trophy again,
0: Yeah. So, Cal, um, was there another category that stuck out to you as something that uh, is worth paying attention to?
2: The Best New Series category is pretty killer this year. You've got The Fade Out, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' uh, ode to classic Hollywood and crime. Lumberjanes, uh Booms, huge uh surprising success, uh from uh Noelle Stevenson, uh Grace Ellis, Shannon Waters, and uh Brooke Allen. Ms. Marvel, which I mean again, that one is a uh a big success even outside of uh comics culture. Rocket Raccoon, which is there for some reason, yeah. and <laughs> Uh, The Wicked and the Divine, which was uh, just optioned for a TV series, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Gods as Pop Stars book. And this is a series, I mean, three of those, three of those five have a lot more popular recognition, I think, than a lot of the continuing series. They have a lot more attention being paid to them. I mean, these are hot books in a way that the continuing series just don't seem to be right now.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, looking at looking at that lineup, for me, obviously the best—not the the best, but but the overall favorite of of this category is probably Miss Marvel, um, just because of its its wide ranging reach. I mean, at some point in New York City, people were painting Kamala Khan, the central character of Miss Marvel, the title character, on the side of walls to uh, you know. To, to sort of promote uh, racial tolerance for uh, you know, people of the Muslim faith. And I think, I think that really speaks volumes to how much Miss Marvel has like, penetrated uh, not just comic book culture, but pop culture in general. Um, it's a character that a lot of people want to see in live action. They want to see in animation. They want to see more of Kamala. And I think if I had to bet... I would probably say Miss Marvel would probably take that trophy. Though I am a big fan of the Wicked and the Divine, so <laughs> um, I would not cry at night if it won the award.
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's a category that I haven't read that much of. I've read Fade Out and and some of Wicked and the Divine. I haven't, I didn't stick with it, but I really, I like everything that's in there. I like that a lot of the that three, well, maybe at least two out of the five are. Uh, aimed at least in some way at younger readers, I think is really awesome and important. And in all five of these are books that I've heard a lot of good things about. So I mean, this is this is a category I kind of I feel like those are those are good picks. I agree with all of them, and I'd be I'd be okay with any of those kind of taking it home. Really,
0: for best limited series, uh, since we're talking about the series stuff, I think there's only two real competitors here. But we'll talk about all the nominees for a second. You have Daredevil, Road Warrior. By Mark Wade and Peter Krause, which was this digital first Daredevil book that sort of bridged the gap between both the first series of Daredevil and the second inferior series of Daredevil. You have Little Nemo Return to Slumberland, which, you know, I, I i don't know. It's IDW's Little Nemo book. I feel like they put one out every every five fucking years. The Multiversity by Grant Morrison, which we've talked about, inflated endlessly. Um, the Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcus Martin, which I know... Mr. Harris is a big fan of and The Sandman Overture by Neil Gaiman and J.H. Williams III, which is a book that never comes out, speaking of books that don't come out, but did come out this past week and continues to be one of the most beautiful books on the stands. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like this best limited series and best single issue is probably where Grant Morrison is going to get his due uh, for the multiversity. It was just such a critical smash, generally, when you accept, except for the Jim Lee issue that it seems hard to imagine that there's anybody else that's going to get that award, but I don't know. I mean, could Brian K Vaughn sort of continue to run roughshod over things?
2: Maybe. I think Morrison is the odds on favorite for limited series. If, if Sandman overture came out ever, I would say that would win. I mean, Sandman is the comic in, for, for a lot of people. It's the big one. It's, it's the big literary, Popular, on I mean, it helped launch Vertigo. It, it's so prestigious, but it there's just not enough of it. I think Multiversity, I mean, I, I think Saga is going to take continuing series and they're going to want to diversify a little bit outside of that. So, yeah, I, I say Multiversity. Multiversity takes that one, too. Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd agree. I'd love to see Private Eye take it. I mean, I, I, I won't go on about it because I've talked about it ad nauseum, I'm sure. Um but uh just from a stance of how i think i think that's a series that was really important to pay what you want and digital comics in general um that was a model that i think is relatively new and something that paid off really well for two huge creators to to be Put in, uh, you know, putting out a book that way is really interesting, and I'd love to see it win for that reason, on top of the fact that it was a fantastic story. But I kind of agree. I think Multiversity is going to take it. Um, and yeah, Sandman is one where it's, it's coming out extremely rarely and it's borderline impenetrable in, in you know, the ideas and the story that it's trying to tell. Uh, every time it comes out, I have no clue where, what had happened in the previous issues because it seems like it was years ago. Um, and I only barely understood them when I read them at the time. So yeah, that one, that one's kind of tricky for me to, to really throw praise at, but yeah, I think Multiversity is probably going to take this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you on the Sandman stuff. Like I, I look forward to the last issue coming out probably like in October or something whenever it's supposed to come out uh, maybe September August who knows probably not when it finally comes out I look forward to reading it all in one go mm-hmm. and having a wonderful afternoon reading them but at the time I, I, I crack it open and like I don't remember what happened last time <laughs> and it's kind of, kind of hurt my read of issue 5 a little bit because it was very much a profit situation yeah, exactly. <laughs> except it wasn't as complicated as profit that's the thing you know and those be- the best graphic album categories, uh, Cal. I, sp- I especially wanted to just point this out real quickly. You know, best graphic album reprint "How to Be Happy" is nominated uh, for that award. And I don't know if you've read any of the other stuff that it's nominated against, but uh, I just thought that was worth noting. You know, one of the uh, one of the books that you're a big champion of uh, has is at least getting a little bit of a do here.
2: Yeah, "How to Be Happy." I, I was a big fan of and still am. Gorgeous art, fantastic writing, nice, sharp little uh, short stories. The only other one I read, which I liked, although not quite as much, was Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. Otherwise, I mean, the the best graphic album is, is a uh, set that I at least know I'm definitely going to check out everything on both the new and reprint lists. Because those, that just looks like a very solid set of books on both of them.
0: Yeah. And in the new section, Harper and I have read at least a couple of these. Like Harper's read this one summer, which I know you liked quite a bit, right? That was
1: fantastic. Really, really good.
0: And I've read um, Here by Richard McGuire. (laughs) Reading that is actually, you know, kind of a. A loose term, with 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 here uh, being sort of an art book. I don't know if any of you guys check that out, but it's actually quite quite fascinating, and I, might be the the favorite. I don't know. Uh, but seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley, I've also checked out, which I thought was pretty good. Um, overall but I mean they're both cool categories with some nice nice nominees and um, certainly you know uh, the they wouldn't hurt to have any of them win heck even the gigantic beard that was evil is a book that I've seen on shelves over at uh, my local bookstore which is really exciting you know for a, a graphic novel to uh, achieve frankly <laughs> Now, for Best Writer, Best Writer Artist, and Best Penciler Inker, those are sort of like the last major categories that I sort of wanted to take a look at just very quickly. And Best Writer, that's the one that I kind of wanted to really zero in on because that's sort of like, what's weird about it is you have your probable winner for Best Continuing Series, your probable, maybe, winner for Best New Series series, and your probable winner for best single issue slash limited series, all in the same category. So let's just talk about who all is in here. You got Jason Aaron, the writer of Thor, uh, Men of Wrath for Marvel, and of course Southern Bastards and Original Sin. <coughs> <laughs> Kelly Sue DeConnick, who writes Captain Marvel and, and Pretty Deadly, which did did an issue come out in 2014? I mean, I don't remember, Cal. Uh,
2: the last half of the series came out in 2014. Okay. Oh, I was gonna, it, it was it was like a November to March
1: uh, series. Huh. I was surprised they didn't put a Bitch Planet on the list. Is that just too new to be included? Or that was another um, November to March series,
2: which oh, okay. means that only an issue or two would have come out by uh, the end of 2014.
1: Yeah, because that's seen a lot of kind of cult success too, the same way Captain Marvel did. I, I feel like, anyways.
0: And uh, Grant Morrison for the Multiversity and Annihilator which is uh, a book we don't talk about much, but is actually uh, a pretty pretty great book overall, and I hope it gets finished soon. Brian K. Vaughn for Saga and Private Eye, G. Willow Wilson for Miss Marvel, and Gene Luen Yang, uh, who we just talked about in our first segment, for The Shadow Hero. And for his Avatar The Last Airbender tie-in books, which I kind of think is not really why they got he got nominated. <laughs> as much as I love Gene, I think the shadow hero is like the the main focal point here. So, ooh. Okay, so, you know, best new series is really tight. I think best writer might be even tighter.
2: Yeah, I have no idea where that one's going. I mean, I think I don't think Gene Luen Yang or Kelly Sue DeConnick, I mean, as much as I love DeConnick, or Jason Aaron. I don't think they're seriously in the running on that one. I think it's Morrison, Vaughn and Wilson. And I I don't know. There it's almost three different eras of comics that are fighting there in a weird
1: way. Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind, it's a really interesting lineup. I mean, these are all five writers that I really like, <laughs> uh, which makes it tough. I don't I wouldn't necessarily I, I as much as I hate it, I don't think I don't think Gene probably is Truly in the running, although I loved the Shadow Hero, but um, I wouldn't necessarily count out Jason Aaron or Kelly Sue DeConnick either. I mean, those I feel like Thor and Southern Bastards for Jason Aaron and Captain Marvel, just both all, all of those books have such a huge following. At least it seems like it. I mean, everybody I know is reading most of those books, but the same goes for every, everybody on this list. <laughs> so you know, it's a that's a really tough one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think Kelly Sue's probably out of the running, um, along with Gene Lu Yang. I mean, I, and the reason I say that is because I'm kind of pulling the Oscar, um, I'm kind of pulling, like, like, the Oscar line of thinking. Like, if they're nominated and will probably win this award, Chances are they're a better favorite for this award, right? It's like precursors to the other big award. J- if Jason Aaron pulls off a surprise Best Continuing Series win, then all bets are off, right? I mean, all of a sudden Brian K. Vaughn is no longer the favorite for Best Writer, and chances are it's Jason Aaron because it's all the same voters. It's not like it's a you know, it's not like people are voting based on guilds here. <laughs> you don't have the writers voting for writers and the artists voting for artists, so. I I think Kelly Sue's out. I think Gene's out, and and chances are Jason Aaron is probably out. And I, I I don't know. Like Cal, I have no idea who to pick between those three. Um, between Morrison's long-standing influential career, which includes influencing guys like Jason Aaron, Brian K. Vaughn's you know big populist appeal, and G Willow Wilson's cultural impact. Uh, ugh. You know that's that's this is a tighter best rider race than I've seen in a long, long time, and I've paid attention to the Eisners for quite some time, even when they weren't something to be necessarily so proud of. So, whew, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm rooting probably for Morrison because I'm a fanboy, but I mean, any other win would make sense to me between those three, frankly, or Jason Aaron if he squeaks it out, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. I wish you'd win. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. Hey, you know, he'll probably get an award for the Shadow Hero, though. I believe it's nominated for uh, maybe a Teen Work or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it was. Um, Best publication for teens.
0: There you go. So technically, he's in for something else as well, which is Uh, kind of exciting.
2: But he's fighting against Lumberjanes there. And Lumberjanes is a pretty big, I mean, just got the movie adaptation deal, like, Lumberjanes is is coming up big. Ah,
0: fuck. All right. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, Gene. I you know, I, I don't know, man. This is this is tough. It's like uh it's like when uh poor old Veg Tawari was fighting up against Congressman John Lewis and Ed Piscor for uh <laughs> best uh best historical uh graphic album. Which I think Ed Piscor will probably finally win this year, maybe. And then, uh, you know, I don't have much to say about Best Writer Artist. I don't know if you guys do.
2: I'll, I'll second your thing earlier. Every, I mean, if, if you read here, it's it, – it, I mean, you, you need to be comfortable reading a, a fairly complex graphic story. It's, it's not a narrative story really uh, so much as it is playing with kind of the format. But if you if if that's your thing, here is here is the one
1: to read. Very good. I haven't read any any of these. I'm a familiar with most of those guys, but I haven't read any of the stuff that came out last year. Yeah,
0: you, know, you can't ever go wrong with Sergio. Man, um, uh, Gru versus Conan is a pretty enjoyable little book. I picked it up recently, uh, just as I was inspired to do so by reading some stuff. But you know, he's always great. Charles Burns. You know, Black Hole is a wonderful book and Sugar Skull. I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's equally as as, you know, as thought provoking as Black Hole was or somewhat close. But uh, here's got all the all the buzz, though. Raina Telemeyer is really coming up and it's possible we could see a surprise win there. But I think the best money is on Richard Maguire um, for best pencil or anchor which is probably the last major category that uh, we can all kind of easily cover, uh, You know, this is another tight one. Just like Best Rider, I think this is where... Uh, it's going to be gonna, there's going to be some tough choices made. Adrian Alfano for Miss Marvel, Mike Allred for Silver Surfer and the Madman 3D Special, Frank Quitely for PAX Americana issue the Multiversity, Francois Chuiten who I'm not familiar with unfortunately for the Leaning Girl, Fiona Staples on Saga and Babs Tar on Batgirl. Interestingly, Fiona Staples did not win for Best Penciler Inker last year. She won for Best Painter Multimedia Artist, Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why that was, uh, but they moved her over to Best Penciler Inker this year, uh, which seems like a more fitting category anyway. Um, But I don't know if I'd want to be in that argument about who's better between her and Quietly and Allred.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And can we take a second to marvel here at the fact that Frank quietly is nominated for literally a single issue of a comic book? <laughs> like that's, I mean, and and it is, I mean, Pax Americana has got, I mean, essentially in one way or another has been nominated at what three times, maybe four across these. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, we all obviously were kind of over the moon about it for the most part. Um, so, but I just think that's that's pretty incredible uh, for the guy to have I think between that and and the handful of issues of uh, Jupiter's Legacy that came out this year, he's put out what maybe 3 issues this in 2014, four maybe. But the the level of work there is just so ridiculously over the top. I mean, he every time he comes back it reminds everyone of just how incredible he is and what a high bar he sets. But I think uh all red being on there is kind of interesting to me because I'm a huge Mike Red fan. He's one of my top two or three artists ever, but I don't think this was necessarily that strong of a year for him. I, I think the stuff on Silver Surfer is good, but it's far from his best stuff. But I, I think it's really interesting that the 3D special is nominated in a couple spots um, because that actually ended up being really phenomenal. It's by far and away the best 3D I've ever seen in a comic book, which is a pretty narrow list, <laughs> uh, granted. But it was really interesting, and it actually, the way it was put together was really perfect for that kind of unusual uh, uh, format. So, I mean, that I think is interesting and, and maybe worth uh, worth putting them on the list. Whose corner are you in, Cal?
2: Uh, I think Fiona Staples is probably the safest bet, although quietly being nominated for a single issue Lends a lot of credence that that is a just a it that that issue's big that's an influential issue I mean, I enjoyed for a best single issue I enjoyed Astro City number sixteen, but Pax americana is gonna win that, and yeah, I don't know I quietly just yeah that just feels big being nominated for a single issue um Weirdly, I think that this year is going to come down a lot to um, the changing demographics in kind of the voters. I mean, if you start seeing wins from like uh, G. Willow Wilson, Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, Lumberjanes, Ms. Marvel, if those are the books that start winning, I could even see Babs Tar winning because sure. um, she just speaks to such a different – audience than everyone else on that list so yeah i mean uh it'll be interesting to see if they buckle down and you know the traditional voting block wins or if you start seeing upsets from people like reyna talgamir g willow wilson kelly sudaconic and uh, babs tar adrian alfana
0: i just want to point out that jupiter's legacy is not even listed next to frank Quitley's <laughs> i know
2: isn't that kind of funny
0: i mean i thought they just listed everything you did in the year apparently not (laughs) so i guess you know uh when it comes to using frank quietly maybe having people stand around and talk is not the best usage of the guy (laughs) and maybe the eisner voters understood that as well well do you guys have any other last thoughts about the eisner is anything we missed anything that you want to point out that's worth pointing out before we uh, call this one a day
1: i would say uh just as as one of the category not not to discuss or anything but I, if you'd look at the uh best cover artist category th- that's pretty much my top five artists are you know in one form or another it's kind of I, I loved that category that was a lot of guys i uh I love especially it felt a little verification that i'm I'm on the right path with my uh weekly articles there <laughs> sometimes but um no I think to me kind of the interesting thing about the Eisners is every every year when they come out i always find myself thinking well damn i don't read like any of these books this kind of sucks <laughs> i read you know in, in like the four big categories i know most of those, but in most of the categories, it's stuff I've never heard of. But then I I have to kind of check myself and think, okay, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) This is, that's kind of the opposite of the Oscars where, you know, I've heard of every single thing that's on there and it's all the same, you know, seven or eight movies in every single category. And that that gets so boring. So I really love that the Eisner's really branches out and, and that, because of the way they do it, they get some really interesting stuff. And it usually ends up giving me a great list of stuff to add to my Amazon wish list. So the Eisners are really interesting for that, I think. And it seems like this is another year for that. I think this is probably the most interesting list I've seen
2: in a long time from the Eisners. I mean, even if I don't agree with everything, it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, even the uh, Astro City book that was nominated, Wish I May... Was I think nominated because it was an issue that dealt with a uh, transgender character. Wow. There's a lot of um, there's a, and there's a lot of that through this uh, through these nominees. There's a lot of LGBT support. There's a lot of uh, people of color. There's a lot of just support for differing voices in a way that the Eisners have not always been friendly for, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out in the voting because this is not the list that I thought I was going to see when, uh, I, I somehow missed this, this coming out last month completely. I was just, I was so wrapped up in a class I was teaching. I didn't even notice. And this is not what I was expecting to see when I, when I opened this list, uh, earlier today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a really, really great, great list of nominees and I, I can't wait to see who they come up as winners um you know sadly there's not a great repository for nominees to find online anywhere but this podcast will stand as testament to that they did exist (laughs) and when we go back and discuss the winners possibly you know sometime in july august when we do our comic con wrap-up well by gosh i look forward to returning to it so next week from hell
1: It only took us two months. (laughs) Yeah, see you there.